You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Are your patients struggling with all the uncertainty about what to do and how to manage all the change as a result of this pandemic? Are you struggling with all the uncertainty in your practice or at home? Did a squirrel jump onto a transformer outside your house the last time you tried to record a podcast episode on how to cope with uncertainty? Yeah, me too. This is Primary Care in a Pandemic. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm a medical anthropologist working at the University of British Columbia's Department of Family Practice. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor working in the inner city, and I'm faculty in the Department of Family Practice. We're both part of the Primary Care Innovation Support Unit, or the ISU. So we were actually recording yesterday an episode on how to cope with uncertainty, what we're doing now again. And in the middle of uh, a great spot of tips and tricks, the power went out and a big boom happened and my computer shut down and I was completely in the dark in my basement. And uh, it turned out that one of the most uncertain events possible happened and that was a poor squirrel jumped onto a transformer outside of my house and put a brownout across the entire block. And so we lost our recording yesterday. Right. So there's just uncertainty right now kind of all around us in primary care and in life in general. And there's just so much change happening. You just you got to roll with it sometimes and pick up the mic and record a second time, I guess. So, I mean, squirrels aside, I think COVID-19 is one of the pinnacle examples of challenges and uncertainty and how we can't really predict some of the changes in a complex system. We don't really know everything about this virus or we don't know a lot about the consequences, the long-term effects. And we don't know the impact of policy or unfortunately even politics has on the virus, its spread, the impact on our population at large. And, you know, so many people are reacting to this with high levels of stress and anxiety, understandably. So really the question is, how can we learn to respond better to all this in our families and in our work? We're in this for the longer haul now, and there are many ways to help try to manage change in your life. And these have immediate benefits as well, helping sort of us go through this longer term change that's happening. Being able to reframe the problem a bit, knowing what you have control over and what you don't have control over, and you know, accepting what you can't change and taking charge of what you can, really, really uh, important. Trying to be present and mindful in the moment can also help. And we're going to talk about some of this physical rewiring. So getting out and exercising, getting out to nature, making sure you're sleeping. Uh, if you meditate, now is a fantastic time to do some of that. All of those tools can be helpful. And then finally, if you have to, sort of refocusing and thinking about things in a shorter term timeline. And really, I think all this is about resetting and changing our expectations in general to be able to really manage and cope with uncertainty that's around us. The first idea that we wanted to talk about today was really coaching patients to make change more manageable. What kind of things would you do, Morgan, to, to coach your patients? Parts of our practice now in primary care are becoming this sort of managing our patients or helping them to manage some of this uncertainty. And, you know, I think there's ways that we can guide patients that will be helpful. Encouraging patients to lean into choices when they, they're trying to make a decision that are a bit more protective. So it, it's less risky. That's a good thing in general. But then it also just takes away some of that stress for the patient or for their families. And the other one that, that I, I like to highlight is trying to reduce that decision fatigue. We sort of have a, a limited amount of decisions we can make in a day. And so if you can make a choice based on what you know now and then stick with it for a while, that really reduces the need to revisit that decision multiple times. And I mean, something that I think really helps with that is the, the idea of time boxing, right? So really reducing anxiety of making a decision, putting particular timelines around it. And for some people, this, this might be shorter. Maybe you're working in sort of a one week, two week time frame. It might be longer, like thinking about a school term. 
sort of where are those natural points at which you might be looking back and reevaluating the decisions that you've made so that you're not always stuck in that, like, did I make the right decision? Do I need to change this now? Which I think with so much happening around us and changing on a daily basis can, can be really challenging. And I think for people with higher risks, clear decisions might you know take longer time frames. I think that's totally right. That sort of that two to four week window. I mean, it's almost laughable when we, we think about back to March when people sort of said 15 days to make things better, but actually time boxing to that two weeks from a virus that actually makes sense, but also from a human psychology perspective that it's manageable, isn't it? It's like, okay, for the next couple of weeks, I can do this and then I'll revisit it. It might be around planning for food, food safety. Okay, I'm going to get groceries for the next two weeks. I'm going to go do this now and then I'm not going to go grocery shopping again. Or I'm just not going to go even think about eating out for the next two weeks. I'm only going to eat at home. Those are examples of a, a time box. You see, just for the next two weeks and then I'll reassess in two weeks what I think the risks are. And it could also be for some of those things like, you know, am I going to wear a mask every time I leave the house or only when I'm in crowded places? For for two weeks, I'm going to leave the house wearing a mask and that's going to be what I do. That Then we'll see. I think there's also the idea that you know maybe it's a time box, but maybe it's also related to data. Maybe it's as long as we have below this number of cases in my community, this is going to be sort of the decision-making pattern that I take. I think that's great. I think that time boxing or having some sort of metric, even if it feels a little bit arbitrary, we can coach our patients around that. It makes the decision and then it takes a little bit out of your hands so that it's like, oh, well, now that this has happened, this is how I'm going to respond, as opposed to reacting moment by moment uh, with every single Bonnie Henry update. Like, oh, today should I wear a mask when I go out? What does Bonnie Henry say? Oh, shoot, the numbers were higher today. I should have worn a mask. Making that decision, saying if, if the numbers get above a certain point, I'm just, that's it. I'm going to start wearing my mask. Or I'm going to, I'm going to try it now for the next two weeks and see how it feels because maybe there's that other emotional, I'm kind of embarrassed by wearing a mask when not everybody on the street is. Try it for, for two weeks. Those are things you can coach your patients with. And I think that's really helpful in changing that behavior and making it less permanent and then revisit it, you know, after the time box ends. And this is also, of course, an idea that can work for personal lives as well, right? Yeah, I mean, you can use it in your practice or your, your own home life as well. I talked about it before in the podcast for work. You know, I made that decision about going 100% virtual uh, in my practice. And I've stayed in that, that space. I've time boxed and I've, you know, I, I reviewed it a couple of times and decided just, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this, you know, over the summer. I'm going to keep doing this now into the fall. And for me, that's a little longer of a time window. I'm not going to revisit that decision until... Probably the new year will be the next time I think about it. I'm going to stay virtual till then. And the next idea we really wanted to talk about was, you know, the value of really being transparent about uncertainty. The fact that, you know, it's okay that we don't have all the answers and that the answers we do have might might change. We're learning new things kind of on a week-by-week -week basis about, about COVID and about, you know, what the longer-term impacts of it might be. We don't know how kind of these changes are going to interact and how the collective changes are going to affect the system, but then also down the road, what some of the longer term socioeconomic impacts are going to be. You're right. And with all that uncertainty, sometimes our patients are looking to us for the clinical guidance, but we can also be transparent about how we're personally responding to things. And not to say disclose things you're not comfortable with. That certainly as a provider, you, you have that boundary and, and that's absolutely important and clear and, and paramount to keep. But for things that you're comfortable sharing, 
patients might not see the uncertainty in how you're managing it in your practice or in your, your own life. It's fine to share that, to model to others how you're coping. So that example I gave earlier about virtual care and, and why I decided to do that, something I, I share very transparently with my patients because I see them now virtually, but I, I, I talk to them about why I made the decision as much as I'm comfortable with and then use that as a, a, a way to reflect with them, how they might apply similar decision-making in, in their situation. And I think initially you were a little bit nervous about how that might go over with your patients, right? It was, yeah. Yeah. And actually there was a few weeks before we got everything set up so I could keep seeing people. And there was a, there was a relief when people saw me, even though it was on a little screen virtually from a distance. And so, yeah. And, and then to explain to people at that point, you know, this is what I'm, I'm having to do for my own health. And, and people are like, oh, absolutely. I, I fully support you. It's fantastic. And thank you for still being able to see us virtually. Right. It was, it was great. Uh, I didn't need to be worried. Well, I think it's that idea of if you're not transparent, people don't know what's happening sort of behind the scenes. Right. And there might be a whole bunch of things that, that you're doing to mitigate risk that your pa- patients can't really see. Yeah, and I think that's another good point is that a patient, if they're seeing you virtually or they're seeing you in the clinic, they've only got the view of their experience. And there are a lot of things that we do in the context of this pandemic to make things safer that aren't visible. The way we clean rooms between visits or we space out visits so that there's fewer people. Some of those there might be some awareness of, but again, it's another way to provide an example to patients about how you're approaching this, why you're doing things differently. And then you can, as a, as a sort of a coaching tool, use that as the illustration to share back and say, so this is how we've decided to do things for the next two months. And we're going to revisit that in October. That's fantastic. The patient also then understands how things are going to be like if they're going to interface with your practice again in the next two months. But they can see how you're thinking about it, and that's a way to model it. And I think that that is helpful for patients. And there's just so much data that's flooding people's news feeds right now. And I think the average person is having to interpret data so much more than they would have in the past. Our next idea is really about helping people with interpreting data, encouraging patients to learn from trusted sources, to kind of stay away from rabbit holes. I know even for me, at the beginning of everything in March, I started a daily field note kind of activity where I was going into the data and getting the daily updates, and it was just too much. And that was that was just from from known trusted sources. But I, I realized that for my own uh, personal kind of well-being, I needed to step back from the data, just take a break. And, you know, at that point, I decided I was only going to check once a week. And I can't imagine what it would be like for people who don't normally interact with data in that way. There's a lot more data being thrown around and people are looking at it more consistently, I think, now than on average a year ago. And clinicians have been trained in different ways to analyze and look at clinical data. We've got that ability to help normalize some of it for our patients and contextualize it. One of the things that I I constantly have to do with myself is if I'm looking at some of the news from the U.S. or another country, I have to reflect back that BC is different. The virus is the same, but the context is different. And then where we are on the island is different again. And so that's an important thing that we can do is to provide some of that contextualizing for our patients. And also it's important to acknowledge that we do all interpret the data that we do have differently and how it impacts the decisions we make in our own lives. So in just to wrap up this, this short uh, episode between our two seasons, it certainly felt like it was a time to just talk and reflect about uncertainty as all these changes were happening and people were heading back to school or not, depending on the day and, and where you are. But I think it's important for us to be okay with acting into that uncertainty a bit. 
And I also think it can be so valuable for people who are kind of struggling with this to think a little longer term and then act in the shorter term, right? That can be that can be so useful. And and the whole kind of 15-day time boxing that we talked about really can be a, a great tool in terms of making changes in the short term that you can then reflect on as you learn more. Patients may be able to be more vigilant over a two-week timeline as opposed to thinking about it for, oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's going to be until the spring or past the spring. And so encourage them to think about it in those smaller chunks. I think that's how we'll get some of those behaviors. And then some of those positive behaviors may become more habit, which is, which is great. And that's where we want to be. And really, we have to kind of settle into this state of uncertainty. So thinking about modeling your decisions, coaching your patients, and really making changes more more manageable for them. As healthcare providers in primary care, we're in a unique position. We are that last mile for public health, and we're a trusted last mile, which I think is really important for people. Well, that wraps up this episode. We're going to start season two in a little while. Uh, hopefully it was helpful, and we'll, we'll see you soon. As always, we'd love to hear from you please feel free to reach out and contact us at isu at familymed.ubc.ca. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 